0: Well, some of y'all may remember um, a movie that came out in in 2010 called The King's Speech, which was about King George VI from England, who was king from 1936 until his death in 1953. And once, uh, there's a story about him going to uh, visit one of the English colonies in Africa, and the people there were so excited, like, why would the king come to visit us in our little Province, um, but they were very, very excited, and it was unheard of to have uh, somebody of that magnitude royalty to come and visit them and so the king was supposed to come and, and make a speech there um, in this downtown area the day of his arrival. He was only going to be there for a day and this one man that lived in a small town close there was very excited about that. He was a shopkeeper, and he was like, "You know what I'm closing down the shop that day and I'm going to make the track and I'm going to hear." And see the king in person. That's what I want to do. But unfortunately, two days before the king was to arrive, this shopkeeper had some sort of an accident and hurt his leg. And it kept him from standing. It kept him from walking for a long period to see the king. So he decided he was still going to close up his shop early. And he was going to get next to the radio because it was broadcasted that day. And he was going to listen to the king uh, on that day. So that day, the king was to arrive. The shopkeeper, sure enough, he closed the front of his store and he went to the back and he planted himself in a chair right in front of his radio, promising that he would let nothing, nothing disturb him during the king's speech. And the king, however, and his motorcade arrived much earlier than they had anticipated. And he had about an hour before he had to be in the downtown area to give his speech. So he asked the driver to drive out into the countryside a bit and to see how folks lived there and meet some of them. And so he came upon this little shop to see how the folks lived out there. And he came upon this little shop and he asked the driver to stop. And so King George the Six got out and he rang the bell of the shop. No answer. He rang again and yelled, Anybody here? Anybody here? The shopkeeper heard the the bell. He heard the shouts, but he was glued to the radio, not wanting to miss any part of the king's speech. And he had heard that he arrived early, so he was going to make sure that he was going to be right there in case he started early on the speech. So he told his little boy to go and see who was at the shop door and to get rid of them. I'm not leaving this radio for anybody or anything. So the little boy greeted the man who was the king And he asked for a drink of water, which the little boy got him. And they talked briefly, and then the king left. Soon after, the king's speech came over the radio, and he began, I haven't learned a lot about this country yet, and I really haven't had a chance to meet many of its people, but the ones I have met have been very kind and friendly to me. Then he went out to share, went on to share about his visit and experience with this little boy at this shop, even revealing the address. And the shopkeeper was dumbfounded. He realized the king was right there at his store, at his little shop. And he missed seeing and talking to him right where he was. Now, last week I, I talked about Advent as the celebration and the connecting of our hearts and minds. To remember and how Jesus entered the world. Not just that he entered the world, but how he entered the world was unusual. And why he entered the world was of most importance. It's also the preparation and connecting of our hearts and our minds. Not only for remembering the past of Jesus coming into the world as a baby. But also to remember that there is a future arrival. There is a future advent of Jesus coming into the world again in his second coming. And I mentioned last week that many in the first century missed Jesus' birth. Very similar to maybe how the shopkeeper did. They missed not only his birth, but they missed who he was in life. They missed how his death and resurrection was significant for the whole world. He was the coming of the Savior into the world. And they didn't see it because many of them refused to open their hearts and minds to, to bring the Savior into the world in a way they had not considered. So a lot of people, and I would say if we lived in that time and in that culture, we would have been the same way. Kings don't come like Jesus came. If if God's going to send a Savior that's going to make everything right and bring salvation to the world, it's going to be in a big way. It's going to be wow factor. But they didn't see it. For many had in their minds the way the Savior should be born and how He should live and how He should reign, and it certainly was not the way that Jesus came into the world. You don't start out being born to a peasant teenager in an obscure village called Nazareth. You don't start out being a king being born in a manger, in a a dark cave and placed in a feeding trough on your day of birth. That's not how God brings the Savior into the world. And God doesn't allow, when the Savior does come, to just be a normal, everyday carpenter for 30 years. Get busy. Do what you're supposed to do. Save the world. But that's what Jesus did the first 30 years. And then the next three years, he was this miracle worker, healer, and teacher who was constantly offending the religious establishment. That's not how you save the world, Jesus. That's not how how you bring salvation to the world like that. And you certainly aren't crucified as a criminal on a cross. That's not the way it's done. But we know from reading the gospel, that's exactly how God saved the world, wasn't it? Not the way I would choose, not the way you would choose the world thought, but that's how we came. The extraordinary entrance of Jesus into the world should not surprise us. I I shared last week several examples From the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where so many times God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things in the world. Those people didn't think that God would use them. Those people didn't think God would do it in this way. But God always did, using ordinary people throughout history. And God continues to do that. And is it possible for us to be seeking the coming of the extraordinary like the shopkeeper and miss it? Right where we are this Advent season. So, today I want us to look at how Jesus' birth was announced to the very one who would birth Jesus into this world, Mary. And obviously, she's a significant figure in this story. So, we're going to look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. And so Luke, as he tells, he's the most detailed teller of the birth of Christ. Uh, Matthew has some things in there about it. But Matthew was writing specifically to the Jewish people in his gospel. But Luke is writing specifically to a Greek world a Gentile world, those that weren't Jewish. And so his is a little different. And as we know, reading Luke throughout his gospel, he's very detailed. We know he was a doctor. We know he wrote the book of Acts and how the beginning of the church start. So he's very detailed. So that's where we get most of our story about Jesus. But listen to what he he writes about the coming of the angel to Mary to announce Jesus' birth. It says, in the sixth month, So the holy one to be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth your relative is going to have a child in her old age and she was and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her 6th month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be may your word to me be fulfilled and then the angel left her. So in that text what do we see as extraordinary. When we first start, a young girl named Mary is about to be married. Nothing extraordinary there. People get married all the time in life, and history, and in culture. That happens a lot. But she's a teenager in an obscure town called Nazareth, and she is thinking about this wedding, her upcoming marriage to Joseph. They've been planning this. They've been excited about this. And then the angel Gabriel goes to her with a message. That part is extraordinary, isn't it? You're planning for your wedding, and an angel comes to you. The angel Gabriel is mentioned four times in the Bible. Two times in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, to Daniel the prophet, as he speaks this message of prophecy to Daniel, Gabriel does. And he calls Daniel highly esteemed or highly favored in those passage, passages as well, excuse me. Two times in the New Testament, once right before this, in the passage we read today in Luke 1. He prophesies the birth of John the Baptist to Zechariah. And then he comes to Mary and calls her highly favored. So that's a word that he uses. Now, is this just a coincidence that some several hundred years before Jesus comes, before this encounter with Mary, that the same angel Gabriel is speaking to a prophet named Daniel? So this encounter had to be amazing for her. And so one of the questions I thought about was, is Luke tells us that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, what was she troubled about? What was troubling about what the angel said to her? Greetings? Obviously not. You say greetings, you say hello. You who are highly favored, was that troubling to Mary? Did she not believe that she was highly favored? Did she believe that the Lord is with you? What was Mary troubled about from these words from Gabriel? Is it possibly because she recognizes that Gabriel is the same angel that spoke to Daniel? Did she know about Daniel? And I have to believe that she did. This was part of the Jewish culture about these prophecies that would come, this Savior that was coming. Is it possibility that she recognizes the connection to Daniel? Is it because she does not believe that she's highly favored or that the Lord is with her? Or that she could possibly be in the same category as someone like Daniel? I don't know. And Luke doesn't really tell us that Gabriel tells Mary who he is. But Mary does understand and Luke does understand that this is Gabriel and he identifies it as Gabriel and certainly it seems to be the same Gabriel that addressed Daniel and Zechariah and if Mary knew it was Gabriel that is another possible reason for maybe her being troubled. Now we do know that Daniel when we go back to the Old Testament that Daniel is he hears these revelations from Gabriel about what in the future is going to happen and he is able to hear those and he is in an occupier Uh, Israel was no longer the the top dog then they have been occupied by Babylon and he's been moved out of of Israel he's been moved out of Jerusalem to Babylon and that is where he serves he's still serving God even though he is a part of the occupying um, Babylonians and what's interesting is Mary is living in this occupied world she's not out of her home she's still in her home but now her home is occupied by not by the Babylonians but by the Romans But God is still working, even in the midst of being occupied by an enemy. And it's interesting what they share together. And Gabriel reassured Mary, don't be afraid, Mary. And he calls her Mary. This is significant because I didn't mess up. Even if you're troubled, I didn't mess up. I know your name. God knows your name. I know who you are. God's been watching you. You are highly favored. I know exactly who I'm talking to. You aren't the wrong person. You are. Mary have found favor with God. And as if Gabriel saying, I didn't read the message wrong. I didn't get the wrong person. God has chosen you right where you are in this obscure town as a teenager to be part of the extraordinary coming of Jesus into the world. And he says, you will be with child and give birth to this son and not just any son. You will give him the name Jesus and he will be great and called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, Gabriel knows all these details, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And he says his kingdom will never end. Well, of course, that's troubling to Mary. How am I going to have a baby that's going to be that significant in the history of the world? And notice that Mary questions, How will this be? She doesn't question if this will be, but just, How is this going to happen? I know the birds and bees, and that hasn't happened yet, so how am I going to have a baby? How is that going to happen? She doesn't question who this baby is. She doesn't question what he will be. But she does question how, as a virgin, am I going to have a baby? And Gabriel clears that up. He tells her that through the Holy Spirit, with the power of the Most High, will overshadow you and he will be called the Son of God. And maybe that's what troubled Mary. What's going to happen when the Holy Spirit overshadows me to allow that baby to be growing inside of me? And Gabriel lets her know of another coming of the extraordinary. Elizabeth, your relative, who was barren in her old age, is in her sixth month of pregnancy. Now, again, Gabriel knows who her relative is. He knows that she's pregnant, and he even knows the month that she's pregnant. So Mary knows this has to be from God. How does he know all those details? He knows my name. He knows who my relatives are. He knows exactly what's going on. This has to be. And again, she must have thought as what the angel said. Nothing is impossible for God. You know, Mary knew, everybody knew. We know that Zechariah, we know that Elizabeth desperately want a baby and they haven't been able to have one. But it's happening now. Nothing is impossible with God. And notice what Mary says next. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said There's no arguing once Gabriel said this is how it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if Mary understood that, but what she did know is that I'm going to trust that. This has to be from God, and I don't understand exactly how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust what God's going to do, just like Daniel did in his encounters with Gabriel. He trusted God. You remember when he had to go to the lion's den? Daniel, do you know that Daniel was probably in his 80s when he went into the lion's den? But when he went in there, he trusted, if God saves me, God saves me. If he doesn't, I'm okay because I know God is ultimately in control. He had experienced God to that degree. And if Gabriel came to you and me today, right where we are, in this certain season that we are, in our lives, whatever's going on in your life is different than what's going on in my life. And and I can hide from you what maybe is really going on inside of me and in my life. And we can kind of fake that or or, or nobody really knows. But God, what if he came to us right where we were and says, I want to do something in your life and what he said to you would trouble you. Craig, I want you to do this. Joe, I want you to do this. Whoever it is, I want to do something big. What would that? It would probably trouble you as well. And if Gabriel came to you and said, you are highly favored, how would you respond to that? I think a lot of us would be like Mary. I'm not highly favored. You you must have made a mistake because I'm not highly favored. But would we as Mary be troubled at the greeting? Highly favored. Gabriel didn't tell Mary she had to do this so that she could become highly favored. He said, God has chosen you because you are what? Highly favored. Right now, right where you are as a peasant teenager in this obscure town. And God sees all of us, I believe, that's what I read in this, is that God sees all of us as highly favored right where we are in our lives at any time. Or He never would have come to earth, He never would have died on the cross and resurrected for us if He didn't highly favor you and me. And it wasn't just Mary that He highly favored. It wasn't just Daniel. It wasn't just the Israel nation that He favored. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the what? The Mary? The world, that's right. The world. Not just Mary, not just the Israeli people, but all people. And that's why Jesus came, because we're all highly favored. And Mary, you might think, yeah, but Mary must have been a little notch above everybody else. Well, maybe she was, but this what we do know. She was not perfect, but she was highly favored. And although you and I are, are far from perfect, We are still highly favored, and God wants to do the impossible through you and I. And I think it's such a sad thing in our culture today because so many people do not believe they're highly favored. Would you all agree with me with that? That's why there's so much anxiety and depression is because we really don't believe we're favored. The world tells us as I scroll through 100 stinking TikToks all day long, boy, there's a lot more people that are highly favored than I am. Look how much more talented they are. Look how much cooler they are. I can't possibly be highly favored. And Satan used that to tell us a lie that we're not highly favored. And we believe that stuff. We believe that stuff. And you may be sitting there to go, that sounds great, Craig, but not me. But look at the whole story of Jesus coming. Look at all of the characters as we go through this Advent season. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they weren't anybody special. Well, he was a priest, yes. But you know, a lot of people thought that there was sin in their lives because that's why they couldn't have kids. That wasn't true because God was doing something and waiting to give them a child later in life and a special child in John the Baptist. But a lot of people through their lives go, well, you know, there must be some kind of sin that they haven't been um, admitting to and that's why they can't have kids. That was all a lie. But God eventually blessed Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna who encountered Jesus uh, when he's about eight days old. Think about how we would describe this cast of characters old, barren, highly religious, not religious at all, young, poor, bottom of the social ladder when we think about the shepherds, unreligious, untrusted, highly esteemed and rich as we think about the wise men, but old and about to die when we think about Simeon and Anna. All of these people from all different walks of life were part of Jesus' birth. And God used all of them all of those different people right where they were in their life, in the season of their life, to be a part of the story. And I find that fascinating. And sitting here today, we are a very diverse group, aren't we? We're very diverse. And one of the great things I get to know is, is as I get to know people in the church is I find out all the cool things about all the different people in the church. I'm telling you, we have an amazing group of people that go to this church that do all kinds of different things. And sometimes, if we spend enough time to actually get to know people... We find out some really cool things about them. And you think about all the talent and giftedness that we have in this church. And as I think about that, I believe that this season of Advent, God wants to remind you and I that we are highly favored, but we're highly favored to do something extraordinary in the world. That's why He created us, to do good works, which He's prepared in advance for us to do. And you might think, you don't know my situation, Craig. I'm not highly favored. Yeah, I might could get there, and maybe I was highly favored to God at some point, but not right now because you don't know what's going on. I've got this messed up marriage. I've got this messed up relationship, this messed up family. Let me tell you something. There's a lady in this church that tells me everybody's got crazy in their family, and I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Terrible job situation, Craig, and my attitude about it. Bad financial mess. I'm living with and hiding this addiction that nobody knows about, but I know I have it. It's affecting me, and it's eating my life away. Maybe you're dealing with guilt, and it leaves you depressed and anxious. Maybe you're dealing with hurt or pain physically that immobilizes you. Maybe some of us are holding on to some anger that destroys our joy for life. Maybe we can escape it for a while, but that pain comes back. Maybe we're refusing to acknowledge some sin in our life. Or maybe you're here today and you deny that God even exists or cares or highly favors you because it's easier to believe that so you don't have to change your behavior in your life. Whatever the case may be, it could not be as impossible sounding as what Mary heard from Gabriel that day. And God did exactly what he told Mary he was going to do, didn't he? He didn't just say all that you are going to have a baby and it wasn't long before she realized i really am pregnant she felt that life inside of her and god was going to do this regardless of mary's reaction god was going to save the world by bringing his son into the world in spite of mary's attitude about it but it seems god had been watching mary he had been preparing her heart and her mind and her soul for something of this magnitude And notice the response of Mary to this life-changing moment, this defining moment to compare to some of the excuses we read about in the Old Testament when God has called somebody to do something extraordinary. I shared some of these last week. But you remember when God called Moses, what did he say? Choose somebody else. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. That's what Moses said to God. Gideon was hiding in a threshing floor. He was treading grapes when God called him and even called him a warrior. And Gideon's like... What warrior? I'm hiding from other warriors. I'm not a warrior. Why would you call me? And he asked for all these signs. I know you're God, and and you haven't done anything about our situation now. That's why I'm hiding, and all our enemies are against us. Why haven't you done anything, Gideon asked? And then even God goes, no, I'm going to change that. He goes, well, I need you to show me a sign. Remember, he put out the fleece and all that. If you're going, what are you talking about? You need to read the Bible. It's awesome stuff. It's incredible stuff. It's fun stuff. But he wanted all these signs of proof. Mary didn't ask for any of that. Saul, when he was supposed to be announced as king, they're all looking for him and they find him hiding in the luggage. And they said he was a head taller than anybody in the whole nation. But Saul was hiding. Elijah wanted to take his own life when when people came after him. Jonah. And the well, remember that? He ran from God. When God says, hey, I want you to do this extraordinary thing. Go and preach God's mercy to your enemies. I'm going to do it. Ran the other way. And Jeremiah told God that he was only a child and didn't know how to speak. Have you ever read Jeremiah? Boy, God figured out how to speak through that guy. Amazing thing. So I say all that, that God moved and worked through all these ordinary people right where they were in life, regardless of if, whether they were afraid or not, or unwilling, or doubtful, or not even wanting to get involved. God says, I'm still going to use you. And God worked through them anyway, in spite of their confidence or willingness or attitude. And I believe God's watching us. He knows your situation. He knows my situation. He knows our background. He knows how we got to where we are, even if it wasn't our fault. Some of it is our fault, but a lot of us know it's not always our fault where we are in life. But he can take what we think is impossible and do something extraordinary through that. And some of you may say, oh, Craig, that's just, you know, you're just trying to make, use the Christmas story and this pie in the sky, by and by, just to kind of bring people's hope during Christmas. You're exactly right. That's exactly what I'm doing. Because Jesus brings that. The reality is, I don't have to try to do that. The facts of the extraordinary birth and story of Jesus' whole life speak for themselves, don't they? His birth. I'll say it again. God can do whatever we think is impossible right where we are. We don't have to get to somewhere where we think He can use us. He uses us right where we are. As a matter of fact, He has already done the extraordinary through the impossibility of Mary having a baby with being a virgin, that shows God can work through the impossibility, through the impossibility that sins could not be forgiven. Somehow we have to fix that. We can't, but God took that impossibility and he forgave us. Through the impossibility of sins that separated us from God, those were all nailed to the cross and those canceled our debt. And when some of us hear that, there's no way God would cancel my debt. You don't know my debt. Yes, God does. I don't have to know your debt, but I do know that God does, and he's canceled it. That's the truth. That seems impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. He canceled that debt. And then as we sang this morning in that last song, through the impossibility of Jesus being dead for three days, I thought you were going to be the Messiah. I thought you were going to do this. And he rose again to say, yeah, he did all of that. The impossibility of rising from the dead gives us the reality of eternal life. So, the impossibility, the impossible stands before us in Emmanuel. God with us, God for us, God loving us right where we are during this Advent season. So I ask you, will you allow God to move and serve in and through you today in spite of whatever seems impossible in your life right now? Because a lot of us are questioning that. But God can bring us good news right where we are. God can call us to a specific mission right where we are. God can accomplish his purposes right where we are. God can change our situation right where we are. God can change our perspective about our situation right where we are. Because I had a friend that I worked with in ministry, and he used to say this, and I hated when he said it because he was right. He goes, Craig, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. And I hated when he said that because he was right. The problem is not going to change until I change my attitude about it. And God can change your heart and my heart right where we are. And God has always worked with and through doubters and skeptics. And his love for us is extraordinary. He has proved that repeatedly. As Mac and Taylor, as Taylor read this morning from the Apostle John's letter, just to say it's pretty cute to see John Mac like, why is my mom's voice so loud this morning? He's just like, going. But she read from 1 John, as John wrote the gospel of John, and then he wrote these letters to the early church, and he says, This is love. John talked a lot about love in his letters and in his gospel. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And what John's telling us is that God's love, if it's really in us, it will come out and we will change seemingly impossible situations in our lives because we are using the same love that God did. I think about, I think about the uh, prodigal son. And, you know, he, he asked his dad basically to drop dead so I can have my inheritance now. And he goes out and he squanders all of it. But not for a minute did his, God, did his dad ever not highly favor him, did he? When he came home, his brother didn't highly favor him anymore. But his father ran out and threw a party for him because he highly favored him. And that situation changed. But in this Advent season, don't forget that God shows up in times and places that you and I would never think of in order to reveal his extraordinary love to people. And don't be. We don't want to be like the shopkeeper during this Advent and Christmas season who missed the king because the king's going to be here on the radio and I'm not moving for anyone or anything because he's right here and he missed the king being at his front door. And we don't want to miss the king during this season. God has created and called all of us, all of us in the world to show up in times and places that people are not expecting to show his love, to show. And so I want to challenge all of us this Advent and Christmas season is look, look for places, look for ordinary things during this Advent season where you go, I can show to love because I can tell this person is not expecting it. And you can change somebody and point them to God by showing them love in a place and in a time in a way that they were not expecting it. And they're going to ask, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And people are going to see that and you have the opportunity to tell them why You were doing that because God highly favors you. And you can tell them that God highly favors them as well. So we're going to offer an opportunity as we do each Sunday to maybe somebody here today that maybe you're listening to this. And I hope you heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just that he was born, but he came for a purpose. And that purpose was to save us from our sins, to bring us salvation. And we need that forgiveness. We need that grace. We need him as our Savior. So if you need to name him and recognize that you're highly favored today, we are going to give you that opportunity. Or maybe you're looking for a church home, and we are certainly not perfect here, but we believe in the one who highly favors us and calls us. So I'm going to ask the the team to come on up, and they're going to lead us in a song. Um, And if you have that decision, I'll try to walk you through it. But for the rest of us, we're going to reflect through this song and through this time on why Jesus came, and that was to ultimately die for our sins. And so we take communion each week here. If you're visiting with us today, we do this every week because Jesus asked us to never forget why I came to earth, and that was to die for your sins and for the whole world's sins so that you could be restored to God. And so we take communion, and uh, after they sing this song, um, we've got some folks who are going to pass out some trays of bread, and you're going to take that piece of bread, you don't have to be a member of our church if you're a believer and want to participate. You are certain we welcome you to do that with us. We're going to take that piece of bread and remember that Christ gave himself for us because we're highly favored. And he spilt his blood and we're going to drink that cup and remember he spilt his blood for me because I'm highly favored. And we're going to remember his death for us. So we're going to do that in just a minute. So they're going to lead us and if you have a decision I'll be right here. So I'm going to ask you all to stand and let's start reflecting on that love that God has for us.